You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Um, good to be with you. So thankful to gather and worship and just be a part of what God is doing um, in the building of his kingdom here in Honolulu. And for those of you guys that just kind of don't know uh, what reality is or where we came from, um, we're part of, we call it a church family um, of about eight or nine realities that are on the mainland and actually one in London. But we started in 2013 in a little small town called Carpinteria, which is about 10 miles south of Santa Barbara, California. And uh, God has just done exceedingly abundantly, and we never thought we were going to be this little church that started other churches, but God just said, go do it, and he called people to, to, to be a part of that work. And um, I was on staff there for about 10 years, involved with kind of all those church plants and, and seeing God work and move in San Francisco and Los Angeles and Boston and London and all that he's done the last, you know, whatever it is, almost 15 years now. And uh, for us, our journey started about five and a half years ago when God uh, said, hey, you know, pretty much the first time he laid on our hearts that he desired or wanted to uh, have my wife and I start a church uh, of our own. And God, through many years of praying and answered prayers and confirmation, has led us to uh, be a part of Starting Reality Honolulu. And we're so humbled by that, so honored, and uh, it's exciting because a lot of people are like, hey, you had a couple weeks uh, of Sundays. How is it? And I said, man, it's just a tangible way to see God's faithfulness for the past five and a half years come to fruition. You know, so many ways he's led us and guided us and provided, and now he's doing it. And he's in, in a tangible way uh, just building his church in this city. And we're so humbled and honored to be a part of it. And so, uh, amen, right? Amen to God's faithfulness of, over the years and um, how he's just built his church. But uh, as, as usual, we're getting into the word of God. We're in Mark chapter 1, 21 through 34 this morning. So we're covering a bit of ground uh, compared to the previous weeks. But the t- title of today's message would be Amazing Authority. Mark 1, 21 through 34. I'll be teaching out of the New Living Translation. And so we do have New Livings on the... Um, the table's back there, so you can always grab one. Or if you don't have a New Living Translation and you just want to read through the week, feel free to go take that. That's our gift to you guys and uh, uh, to be able to read out of that translation throughout the week or bring it with you each Sunday. But without further ado, uh, let's read with me Mark 1, <clears throat> 21 through 34. I'm kind of losing my voice already this, uh, this week, so bear with me. But if I sound a little funny, it's not normal. Uh, Mark 1, 21 through 34, it says this. Jesus and his companions went to, a town of, went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25. But Jesus reprimanded or rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. 
At, the, at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they said, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. It goes on to say, verse 29, after Jesus left that synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her hand and helped her sit up. The fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. This is our text for this morning in God's word. Let's pray with me. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we have it and we're able to open it up and we all have it in our hands that you've allowed us to have the privilege to, to, to be in a place where we can freely and openly learn your, your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister these truths to us. You give us understanding to what is happening in the text and how it applies to our own lives. And God, we ask that you would equip us to be brothers and sisters in Christ um, as, as, a, as a body of believers that really grasped the spiritual realm, that you would equip us to know how that relates to our own lives and that you too have given authority to us to walk in victory over these things. And so God, uh, would you give us understanding? Would you give us insight? Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us your word. Anoint our time. We give it to you, and our prayer is that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this gathering this morning as it is in heaven. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's quite a scene, quite a story that, that Mark is writing down. Again, this is through Peter's eyes, Simon Peter's eyes. These are his accounts that Mark now has written down in book form. And so that's what we're reading. We're reading Peter's eyewitness accounts to what is happening. And so it's a pretty dramatic story. There's, there's demon-possessed people. There's sick people. The whole town is gathering at, the, at Peter's house. And Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. There's all kinds of things happening. But what I want to do is just walk through the text verse by verse this morning, and kind of unpack it. Unpack what is happening. What is the significance of it? What does that mean for us? And how might we uh, glean from it and walk into our own lives learning from the text this morning? And so we're going to jump right in, verses 21 through 22 that we just read, right? It sets the scene. Jesus and his companions, speaking of his disciples that he just picked up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right? Just last week, we heard about the first disciples. Jesus and these guys went to the town of Capernaum on the Sabbath day, and they came. They went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. The city of Capernaum is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
And it wasn't Jesus where he was born. He was from Nazareth. But Capernaum was kind of his home base for his public ministry. Capernaum is, is um, talked about a lot. Uh, that's where Peter's house is, as we see in our text this morning. A lot happened there. Um, last week, just as a reminder, we talked about the whole region of Galilee being where Jesus' ministry, two-thirds of it took place. A lot of the Gospels was in the region of Galilee. Capernaum is one of the main cities on the Sea of Galilee, right on the shore nearby where the story happened last week with Jesus calling the fishers, come be fishers of men, I'll teach you, lay down your nets. That's kind of the scene that's happening right now. And what, what happens is, is they enter into Capernaum on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath being uh, a religious observance or a day of rest to cease from work or labor kept by Jews from evening Friday night till evening Saturday night. So it was a 24-hour period where you, to be, where, where you were to be with your God and to be with your family and observe religious uh, observances. And you were to, to not work and not labor. And uh, we'll see in the Gospels that Jesus kind of broke that and he kind of broke the, the, the misunderstandings there. But nonetheless... Uh, he comes in to the city of Capernaum on the Sabbath day, and he begins to teach in the synagogue. The synagogue is, the, is a building. Um, there, was, there was usually one in each city that where, where, the, where a Jewish assembly of believers or a congregation would meet for religious worship and instruction, much like a church, right? You, we had, we, Jews still go to synagogues today, right? There's a few synagogues in Honolulu that, that Jews attend. But... They go into Capernaum with the disciples and on the Sabbath day begin teaching. And immediately the content and the way in which Jesus teaches, it says here that they're in utter amazement over. Right? This man is different. The words that he's speaking, the way in which he speaks is much different than the other religious teachers that we're used to. Right? The other teachers of the law that are teaching us scripture and the interpretations of scripture and what it means for our life, much like, you know, like other rabbis that are teaching, all right? other, other pastors that are teaching at the time, this man, something is different about him. Right, it's Jesus. We understand why it's different. But these are people hearing him for the first time, some of them teaching, and they are in utter amazement. They're comparing him to other religious teachers, and they're saying, we have seen nothing like this before. This man teaches with real authority. Tim Keller commentates on this, and this is what he says kind of of this scene. I have the quote for you up here. He says, Mark uses this term authority for the first time, speaking of this verse. And the word literally means out of the original stuff. It comes from the same root as the word author. Mark means that Jesus taught about life with original matter rather than derived authority. He didn't just clarify something they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in the way the other teachers of the law did. His listeners sense some. Excuse me. <clears throat> His listeners sense somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author, and it left them dumbfounded. It's because he was God in the flesh, right? He was the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, and so he was teaching with real authority because he was teaching as God. And they were utterly amazed at his authority as he taught the scriptures. And in that amazement, 
we see in verse 23, if, we're, if, we, if we go there real quick, then something happens. So, <laughs> a little weird, a little creepy, but it happens, right? So it says, verse 23 of our text this morning says, Suddenly, a man in that same synagogue, after they're amazed, who was de- possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, verse 24, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Stop there. Even the demons knew who this Jesus was. Do you see that? The people were just amazed that he was different, but the, the, these demons or this demon that was in this man knew who Jesus truly was, that he was the promised one of God. Let's read verse 25. In response to this, Jesus reprimanded or rebuked him, saying, be quiet, come out of the man he ordered. At that, uh, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and they came out of him. Verse 27. Again, amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. So it's it's kind of like a dramatic scene, right? Jesus is preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and people are amazed. And then all of a sudden, this guy that has an evil spirit with him starts, the demon in this man somehow starts speaking or yelling at Jesus these things. And Jesus, in the midst of everyone, rebukes or reprimands and calls out this demon. Hey, demon, come out of this man. And what happens is a pretty dramatic scene. This guy almost seems to go into a seizure or a convulsion in front of everyone. And the demon comes out of him. And then everyone also is like, what just happened? This is crazy, right? I'm amazed. Even the demons obey this man, Jesus. He has such authority. But for some of us, this might be like really weird and creepy, right? Like what is happening? What are you saying? Demons in a person, convulsions on the floor. This is weird. Demons talking to this man, Jesus. And what I want to do is I kind of want to unpack this a little bit for us. And really just for some of us, we know it, but some of us, we don't. That there's a spiritual realm that we don't see that's very real and it's tangible. And it's something that's going on around us. And that's that there it truly is a God. We can't see him, but we see the effects of him. But the devil's real. And, and he has schemes and plans to attack God's people, right? That, that's happening around us. But also the devil and his demons uh, are trying to fight against or stand in opposition of God's kingdom or God's people. And so there's this like entire world or realm happening around us. We can't see, but but it's happening. And in Mark, we, we've talked about that a bit. Like what, you know, like two, two Sundays ago, Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the devil or by Satan. And he was, the devil was trying to tempt Jesus in certain ways. And also last week, we talked about the kingdom of God going forth, but it's, it's coming against the kingdom of darkness that, is, that holds the world in, in, in a lot of bondage. And so there's this battle that's going on. There's, this, there's this, this spiritual realm going on around us that we may not see. And understanding the spiritual realm can be confusing. It can be scary and it can be weird. And I know that like when I first heard about it, like when I was you know, first going to church in junior high and high school, I'd be like, what is this weird thing you're saying? I don't, I don't see anything. 
And what are you saying? There's demons and the devil's real. But, <clears throat> but we see throughout scripture, and we'll see today, that the spiritual realm and the powers of darkness that want to come against the power of God and the people of God is very real and it's tangible. And the Bible would even say, don't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Don't be unaware of what's happening around you, even though you may not see it. But we need to remember, as scary or confusing, as weird sometimes as the spiritual realm can be, it's always important to remember that Jesus is bigger, and he's not confusing, and he's not scary, and he's a loving, compassionate, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Amen? So we need not fear, even though we may not understand. We need not fear because our God is bigger, and we'll see that today. But what I want to do is I want to break down for a second these forces of wickedness to give us like an understanding of the text, to give us an understanding of really what's happening in our text this morning. And first is we need to understand that, that Satan is real. The Bible tells us a lot about him. Uh, Satan is the personal name of the head of the demons, the leader of the demons, and the name Satan in Hebrew means adversary, adversary of God or adversary of God's people. And what we can gather from scripture is that Satan was an angel, but he rebelled against God. Originally an angel, but came against and wanted God's power and he rebelled against God. And so now he's a fallen angel and he's head and demons are also fallen angels and Satan's the head of the demons. Weird, but true. And Ultimately, Satan is the enemy of the Lord and of his people. And Bible uses uh, several names for Satan as well. Uh, we see that he's called the devil. Uh, Matthew 4, Matthew 13, Matthew 25, Revelation 12, Revelation 20. He's called the devil. Same thing, Satan, the devil. He's also called the serpent. We see that first in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. In other words, Satan, the devil. We also see this in 2 Corinthians 11 and Revelation 12, Revelation 20, Satan being used as serpent. Then there's this weird word, weird word that nobody really knows. It's Beelzebub. Or some people would say Beelzebub, but that's not really what it says. Beelzebub. We see that uh, many times. Matthew 10, um, Matthew 24, Luke 11. There's this other name for Satan. He's also referred as the ruler of the world. Right? There's this limited power that Satan has, but he has much of the world in bondage. He's also referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. What does that even mean? But the prince of the power of the air. In this world, he has power and um, some dominion. Right? God has ultimate power and ultimate dominion. But to be the prince of the power of the air of this world and to hold much of it in bondage. And ultimately, he's called the evil one. See that in Matthew 13 and John chapter 2. Many names for Satan, but same person. As you read scripture, just be mindful, though. It may, it may be referring to a different name, but it all means the same thing. And so demons, like I just said, are angels also who have sinned against God, who now continually work evil in the world alongside Satan. That's what they do. Satan may be their master or leader, scripture would indicate, but demons uh, and the forces of evil, Satan and the forces of evil, what they desire to do, 
what their job is, what they intend to do is to destroy every work of God. If you wanted to say it in one sentence, what's the purpose of Satan and his demons? To destroy every work of God. Their goal is to have you not ever trust in Jesus as Lord. Or if you do know Jesus, he's going to try to stop you from trusting Jesus as Lord. He wants to keep you as far as he can away from God. He wants to keep you far from God. Satan and his demons' desire is the opposite of God's desire. Right? Jesus said this, I've come to give life and that abundantly, but the devil, the evil one, the adversary wants to come steal, kill, and destroy. That's his, uh, that's his goal for you. It's opposite to what God's heart is towards you. Uh, Bible scholar Wayne Grudem said it this way. He said, just as Satan tempted Eve to sin against God, so he tried to get Jesus to sin and thus fall in his mission as Messiah. We learned that two weeks ago in his temptation. The tactics of Satan and his demons are to use lies, deception, murder, and every other kind of destructive activity to attempt to cause people to turn away from God and destroy themselves. Demons will try every tactic to blind people to the gospel and keep them in bondage to things that hinder them from coming to God. They will also try to use temptation, Doubt, guilt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, or any other means possible to hinder a Christian's witness and usefulness. I mean, how evil is that? I mean, that definition is really the epitome of evil. And that's what Satan and his demons are. are. They are the epitome of evil. Real, pure, wicked, senseless evil. And Satan's tactics against believers or against the church are what we would like to call spiritual attack. You may have heard this word. Um, you may have even experienced it. Maybe not. Maybe that's really weird to you and you don't know that. But Satan's tactics, the, you know, whether it's lying or instilling doubt or accusing you of things or anything that we just described would be a part of spiritual attack. And if you're a Christian, you probably have experienced this. You may not have known it or, or known what it was from or maybe categorized it as, oh, this is a tactic of the enemy because maybe you didn't have that vocabulary right. And it took me a long time to really understand what that was. But if you're a Christian, you get what I mean by all of a sudden, like this wicked, sinful, perverse thought will just pop in your head. Or all of a sudden, like, you'll doubt God's character. And all of a sudden, like, these thoughts and these emotions and these things will happen. And you'll feel like, where did those things come from? They came from the devil. He's trying to rob, steal, kill, and destroy you. He's trying to separate you from God. And so he will lie to you. He will accuse you. He will, he will tell you half-truths to try to entice you or tempt you from rebelling against God. And it can come really subtly. You know, the attacks from the enemy can be really subtle and confusing. And, oh, that might just be me. And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes we just rebel from our flesh and we disobey God. There's, there's a difference between our flesh and the devil's schemes. But so many times the, the enemy can come very subtly. And it can be just, you know, maybe an open door that we've given him. Maybe we've, 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 
There's, a, there's an open door that we've given the enemy, and he kind of works in it. But he's going to try to take any little thing he can get to try to take our eyes off of Jesus, so to speak. Sometimes it's maybe more aware um, of the enemy schemes. Maybe it's more in your face, and you, you, you are very aware that you are being attacked by the enemy, right? If you have any little bit of maturity as a Christian, and you're like, oh, that's not me, and that's not that person. Wait, I think because I'm kind of trying to step out in faith and do the will of God, I'm feeling attack or opposition against me. And uh, obviously, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but you, uh, man, call upon the Lord with his authority and... If we resist the devil, the book of James said, the devil will flee from us, right? We have, we have hope and truth in that. But nonetheless, Satan and his demons desire to attack believers. And in our text this morning, we see this uh, significant or this interesting encounter that a man is possessed by an evil spirit, or some of your translations might say possessed by a demon, and we do see this many times throughout scripture that there's people who are tormented or even possessed by a demon um, and Jesus or his disciples with authority rebuke that demon or command it to leave this person. We see this throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John into the book of Acts. And what we see is that for the mo- uh, what we see is that those people that are possessed by an evil spirit, we see that those people do not know Christ, it looks like. They're lost, they're far from God, they haven't heard the truth, they don't know Jesus. In scripture, we don't see any evidence of possession, so to speak, in any believers. So we don't need to fear that if you are a born-again believer, you are, you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. We don't see any evidence that you or me can be possessed, so to speak, in the same way that this man in Mark chapter 1 was possessed. We don't have to fear that. Now, I will say it doesn't mean that you won't be attacked. Or even you could escalate it to, I feel like I'm being even tormented by a demon. But you're not possessed. You're not taken over and controlled by that demon if you know Jesus. But we do see in scripture, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know the truth of who Jesus is, we see that that does happen, that, there, that, that there's, there's this thing that happens where the enemy is so wrapped up in our lives that we feel like we're almost controlled by him. And there's some really crazy, weird, gnarly, scary stuff when you don't know Jesus. And that's, that's the truth of scripture when it comes to spiritual warfare. But we do see that as believers, we can't be possessed by a demon. We can't be possessed by an evil spirit in the same way, by any means. But the Bible is very clear that we will come under attack or oppression or opposition, especially when we're doing things for God and stepping out in faith and doing his will. And when we're, when we're being freed of sin and when we're walking in his word and obeying his word, we, are, we become a threat to the enemy when God uses us. When we become more and more sanctified, we become more and more of a threat to the enemy's schemes, right? We're in opposition to his kingdom. Now God's kingdom's coming, and, and man, we're, we're, doing some, we're doing some damage to the, to, to the kingdom of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 6, pretty much that whole chapter, uh, the end of that chapter, describes this battle going on, and I'll just read one verse for you. Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world or 
spiritual realm, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's this real battle going on. God's kingdom against the kingdom of darkness. But we need to understand that demons and the power of darkness are limited by God's control, and they do have limited power. We need to know that as believers, or else you will walk out of here fearful of the devil and his demons. That is not what you need to do, because we need to understand what happened at the cross and what Jesus did to defeat sin, death, and the devil. And where we see that is Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I have it on the screen. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Speaking of us, we were dead because of our sins, right? We were lost. And because of our sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made us alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins, right? Speaking of believers here, he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Praise God. And it says, verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus, if you didn't know, is victor has been victorious. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. We need not fear because we share in that victory. We share in Christ's power and his victory at the cross. And we also have been given authority over the powers of darkness. So we may be attacked. We may even be tormented. We may be lied to and accused of, but our God is bigger. And we stand in a place of victory. Don't, don't, don't miss that. If you know Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, you share in that victory at the cross against the powers of darkness and, and, and wickedness in the spiritual realms. We share in that. And what's important to note, even from our text this morning, is the fact that Jesus cast out that demon. He spoke authority to that demon, and that man was freed from the powers of darkness by the words of God. And such, and, and such demonic forces had never been, been defeated in all of history up to this point. Humanity had not seen darkness defeated in such a vivid way until in the synagogue with Jesus. And Jesus explains this, this authority or power over demons as a distinguishing mark of his kingdom being ushered in, right? His ministry or the kingdom is inaugurated by things like this, by the devil and his demons coming under the rule and reign of the kingdom of God in a powerful way. And what Jesus, why he's doing this is to free people from satanic bondage. And he's bringing them into the joy of the kingdom of God. And the triumph we see here in Mark chapter 1 over demons was and will be even more evidence that in the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God has come upon us. This is a sign or an indicator that the kingdom of God has come and even the demons flee at this man, Jesus. We see also in the scriptures that he gives his disciples authority over demonic powers. It wasn't just limited to Jesus. 
He gave authority to the, the 12 disciples. We see that in Mark 10, and we'll see that in Mark chapter 3, excuse me, Matthew 10 and Mark chapter 3. He also gives it to the, the other 70 that began to follow him. And after a period of ministry in Luke chapter 10, the disciples come back, and this is what they say. Luke 10, 17, I'll read it for you. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They saw their Lord do it. They walked with him. He also gave them the authority to rebuke demons. He also gave them his authority to cast out wickedness in, in this world. And we too also share that authority. It's not our power. It's not we done. It's what Christ did on the cross. And he has given us the authority to walk in victory, to speak in Jesus' name against the demonic forces in this world and say, Satan, be gone. Demons, be gone. You, have no, longer, you no longer have power here. Again, this isn't an um, exhaustive doctrine of demons and, and, uh, and, and Satan. You can totally come to me after and ask me any questions you want. Um, but this is really happening around us. There's really a spiritual realm, and there's really forces at work to try to derail your relationship with Christ, to lie and accuse and steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, this may still be really foreign, but I will say that I, I, I've seen this pretty firsthand, like being in ministry for 10 years, doing a lot of overseas missions. Uh, especially overseas, I don't know what it is, but demonic forces just seem really up in your face. Like, I have totally seen people that are demon-possessed in the same way that uh, Mark chapter 1 would in, in the synagogue in Capernaum. And I've seen uh, when believers get together in the name of Jesus and rebuke these powers at work. And honestly, I've seen the kind of same thing happen. Like, people get crazy. Demons get crazy when they leave people. I know this is like, you're like, dude, this is so weird. Uh, but some of you maybe have seen it, I don't know. But it, it's, I'm, I'm just testifying that the, what the word of God says is it happens. We may just be maybe blinded to it or it may not be as in our face. But there are powers at work. There's spiritual activity and warfare, uh, especially when people come to know Jesus. But there's been a, a huge bondage in their life. Maybe for a long time they've been tied up with the occult or witchcraft or other religions. Maybe they've been heavily involved with drugs and pharmacia and the Bible. I mean, they're so wrapped up in maybe the, the kingdom of darkness. When the kingdom of God comes and they're freed from it, I mean, some things happen. But praise be to God that through Jesus Christ, that he freed us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen. I mean, like we, we should really stand and rejoice in that fact. But it doesn't end there. Uh, if, if you continue on with me in, your, in our text, Mark 1, verse 29, jumping back into Mark. Verse 29 says, after Jesus left the synagogue, right? After this whole scene happened with James and John, they went into Simon or Peter and Andrew's home. And now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. And he went to her bedside took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. The fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Right? So Simon, or Peter, uh, another name that the scripture would call him, and Andrew's brother, the first disciples that we saw last week. Peter's mother is sick. His mother-in-law is sick. Uh, they tell Jesus about him, and Jesus immediately goes, touches her. She's healed, and even she goes, makes a meal for them. I mean, she's that healthy. She's like, 
Oh, no more fever. I'm going to go make a meal for you, and we're just going to rejoice together. Excuse me. <clears throat> this healing, though, is pretty significant, But because what, it, what it does is it shows that Jesus is more, even more, con- I mean, excuse me, is also concerned and king over the physical realm, not just the spiritual realm. We just saw that in the synagogue, that even the demons flee at his name. Now they walk pretty much across the street in the city of Capernaum, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. He touches her. The sickness is healed. She makes a meal. They're rejoicing. And it's significant because even the spiritual realm and the physical realm, Jesus is king over, and he has authority to even heal sickness. Right? I mean, this story is incredible because he's showing his authority in tangible ways in people right in front of their faces. And Jesus wasn't just claiming authority. He wasn't just claiming to have power. He was showing clear proof that he is who he said he was. He shows us that he has real power over sickness. Just a touch of his hand and this fever is cured. I mean, it must have been a pretty bad fever to the guy, for the guys to like go get Jesus and tell him about it. It wasn't like a normal fever. She was really sick. And in a touch of his hand, she was cured. And this will happen over and over in the Gospels. Jesus, by just his word or a touch, will heal an incurable disease. We'll see that just in a few weeks in the book of Mark. And there's over 30 healings recorded in the Gospels, and all of them show us that Jesus has authority over sickness. And even just in a few chapters into this Gospel, into Mark's Gospel, It'll just stack up layer upon layer, showing evidence to Jesus' authority extends over every realm of life, spiritual, physical, that Jesus has authority. It's pretty incredible. But it's not done there. I mean, this is an incredible story, right? But it's not done there. Verse 32 of our text this morning. So after that whole day, right, that would be enough for the whole day for me. Going to bed, watching Netflix, right? That's what you're doing. That evening after sunset, many more sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. Stop there. Word had traveled. Dude, if you're demon-possessed, go see Jesus. You're sick, go see Jesus. Then verse 33, it says the whole town gathered at the door to watch. The whole town. I mean, Capernaum, don't get me wrong, not that big. But at the same time, everyone was coming to see this man, Jesus. They were amazed by his authority. And what did Jesus do? Right, he had a long day. He could have just said, come back tomorrow. It's closed, I'm tired. But he didn't. Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. Just like he did in the synagogue earlier that day, he cast out many demons. It says because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to even speak. They knew who he was. They knew he was the son of God the Messiah, the promised one. They knew that the kingdom of God was being ushered in and inaugurated and the kingdom of darkness was being thwarted. And they were tangibly experiencing that. But what we see is that Jesus has authority over demons in the spiritual realm. Jesus has authority over sickness in the spiritual realm. Even the demons would say so. This man is something else. This man is God himself. But for us in this room this morning, we need to ask ourselves, like, are we aware of this? Or are we just kind of ignorant and going on and not even paying attention to what's happening? Because the Bible would say us, don't be ignorant or unaware of the schemes of the enemy. 
Like, don't be unaware what's happening in your life and how you follow Jesus and how you're feeling and what you're thinking. And if, if you were to be asked the question, you know, in, in true sickness, in, in, in the hardest pain, or in the darkness, in the darkest season, or the scariest thing that you encountered, right? The evil of this world, the scary times, personal life with a friend, do we see Jesus in our lives as having authority over these things? Do we know his power over sickness? Do we know his power over darkness in our lives? And do we believe in those things? Do we trust him? Right? I mean, when, when we encounter spiritual attack, when we um, counter sickness, when, when, when ourselves or people in our life are encountering spiritual forms of wickedness or physical sickness, do we present these things to Jesus as the one who is victorious over them? Or do we just try to run and hide and figure it out and push it down? Or do we just try to like heal it with other things? And don't get me wrong, God totally used doctors to heal sickness. But do we present ourselves to Jesus? Do we, when we encounter darkness, when we encounter sickness in our lives, do we say, Jesus, you're king over these things. I believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your word is still true today for my own life. And so I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious about that things because I know you're bigger and you're God and you have authority to, to cast out darkness and heal sickness. Do we walk in that type of faith in our own lives? And as believers, I think this is just scratching the surface, but are we walking victoriously over sin and over the devil in our own lives? Because you are. You are a a chosen, bought child of God. And you do not, you, the, the, the bondage of sin and the bondage of, of the devil over your life was broken at the cross. And so you do not need to walk in that any longer. And for some of you, you may be in it. For some of you, you may be feeling like real spiritual attack. Or, or, or real doubt or discouragement, or you may feel like the adversary is really lying to you about, is God real? Is God present? Can he really do those things? Because that's what the devil wants to do, is he wants to try to erode your trust with the Lord. I want to remind you of the love of God as we end this morning in Romans chapter 8, right? Paul's letter to the church in Rome, encountering, encountering unbelievable persecution, unbelievable attack for the gospel going forth. And he says this to them. I just want to read this to you and you can, you can just meditate on it. Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39 is for us. It says, I am convinced, this is Paul speaking to the church in Rome and for us as believers. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. And what we see is Jesus 
in the synagogue in Capernaum, ushering in the kingdom of God with the love of God to free people from the bondage of slavery and the powers of darkness, amen? And we too walk in that victory and that freedom. And God went to the, Jesus went to the cross out of a love for us. The same love that we cannot be separated from God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you that we are no longer in bondage or a part of the kingdom of darkness. Those of us that have trusted in you, we have complete victory. We have complete freedom that we've been transferred from one kingdom into your kingdom. But God, we, we truly do at times experience still attack and torment and we, and we still see the effects of the kingdom of darkness in our world and I pray that we would be strengthened as believers to not be swayed by these things but that we would walk out today that we would um, live our lives from a place of victory that we would not need to fear Satan and his demons and all his tactics, but we would rather look to you and experience your love and your grace, your mercy, your power and your victory that, that came from the cross. And so as we worship you now, Lord, as we spend a few more songs declaring your goodness, we ask that we would meditate upon you and what you did and who that makes us in Christ. And for those of us that maybe are living out of a place of fear and discouragement and maybe doubt, we pray that you would meet our, our fear, discouragement, and doubt with your truth this morning. The truth of your word, the truth of your promises would, would truly be, just dwell in our hearts and minds. And so God, we just pray that you would get all the glory, you get all the credit, and we do lift up the name of Jesus. And we are amazed by you and by your authority over everything in this world. Any physical sickness, any demonic force comes under the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.